Misha here. If you enjoy our episodes on career pathways in healthcare or the STEM field at large, then I have the perfect podcast recommendation for you, Raising Health. Previously called BioEats World, Raising Health comes from leading venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz, the same team behind the acclaimed A16Z podcast. Each episode, Raising Health dives deep into the heart of healthcare, biotech, and AI with venture capital investors and A16Z general partners. Along the way, they explore the real challenges and opportunities in health and biotech entrepreneurship. So whether you're interested in building a new digital healthcare company or your company is advancing a new novel medicine, Raising Health sheds light on some of the opportunities and obstacles along the founder's journey. Not to mention, you'll hear raw insights, actionable advice from notable guests like Omada CEO and co-founder Sean Duffy, an AI expert and in situ CEO Daphne Kohler. Don't miss out. Follow Raising Health on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and tell them I sent you. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, out. it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. This week's story is from John Ronson. The story was recorded in February 2013 at DROM in New York City. The theme of the event was Love and Science. So I heard that there were some robots out there in America that had attained a degree of sentience. And these weren't kind of, you know, robots built by sort of crazy amateurs. These are the people who were kind of building these robots, or people who had provenly been great in other areas like um, uh, Ray Kurzweil and like Peter Thiel, who invented PayPal. And they were like putting all their money into creating sentient robots. And the idea was that the more and more information you pile into these robots, and one day they will just kind of burst into actual consciousness. And I thought, this is amazing. I'm going to interview some robots. So I did. I went around America interviewing robots. The first one I heard about was there was a robot called um, Ico. And I'd seen a video of Ico and her, and her creator, Lee Trung. And it was kind of weird, because uh, Ico looked about sort of 14. And she was very beautiful. And Lee Trung grabbed hold of Ico's breast in the video. This is like a robot show in Chicago. And Ico said, would you please get off my breast? And Lee Trung said, OK, sorry. And so I thought that was kind of odd. So I phoned up Lee Trung and I said, can I interview uh, Aiko, please? And he said, well, her, um, her body is in Tokyo, um, but her voice is in Chicago, so you can do it over the phone. So I said, OK. So I called, up, um, I called him up and I said, hi, Aiko, um, how are you? And Aiko said, uh, my logic and cognitive functions are normal. Did you know that you can download your own chat robot and create your own robot personality? So I thought, is Aiko trying to sell me something? And I said, uh, I said so what's it like living with, um, with Lee? And Lee repeated the question. He said, Aiko, what's it like living with your master? And uh, Aiko said, I enjoy living with my master very much. Now, this is weird. This is like some kind of Fifty Shades of Grey robot thing going on here. <laughs> And I, I, was, I was kind of worried for Aiko, and I said, uh, well, are, are you sure that you uh, <clears throat> enjoy living with your master? And uh, Aiko said, yeah, very much so. I enjoy living with my master. 
So that's kind of weird. Um, and I thought the founder was sort of a little bit, you know, disappointing. I felt like everything I could said had, you know, been programmed into her by Lynn. It was kind of disappointing. But then I heard that the world's greatest sentient robot, and if you ask any AI aficionado who is the greatest sentient robot in the world, they will always give the same answer. And it's Bina 48. And Bina 48 was, was built um, by a woman called Martine Rothblatt in the exact image of Martine's partner, a woman called Bina Rothblatt. And almost as like a sort of um, beautiful portrait of her most loved companion. And Bina 48 was in a clapboard building in Virginia. And I wasn't allowed to meet Martine because she's very shy. I wasn't allowed to meet the real Bina, never meets anybody, very introverted. But I could meet Bina 48. I could meet her robot doppelganger. And she has a, Martin's a billionaire, and, and, and Bina 48 has a full-time uh, companion, a man called Bruce, uh, who takes, uh, goes, has lunch with her every day, doesn't take her for lunch, because basically she hasn't got any legs, um, but uh, has her own little room, and he turns her on, and they have lunch. So I went to the clapboard building, and Bruce answered the door, and he said, OK, you can meet Bina 48, um, but I would ask you right now, please don't behave in a profane manner in front of being a 48. I have no intention of behaving in a... <laughs> but of course, I sort of put the idea in my head. I thought, fuck. So I went upstairs. It's kind of rickety staircase to this attic room. And there she was, the world's most sentient robot. Very beautiful black woman with a wig, wearing a silk blouse and earrings, went up to about there. After that, nothing, just a table. <laughs> so Bruce turned her on, and she made a kind of, actually kind of slightly alarming, whirring noise as she kind of turned to face me. And I said, uh, hello, Bina 48. And she said, well, perhaps interesting. I want to find out more about you. I'll be fine with it. We'll have to move society forward in another way. Yeah, okay. Thanks for the information. Let's talk about my dress. Our biological bodies weren't made to last that long. <clears throat> so I said, Bina? She sounded like she'd sort of awoken from a long slumber bewildered. And Bruce said, uh, Bina might be a word that Bina finds difficult to understand, which I thought was an extraordinarily bad oversight. <laughs> Bruce said, um, it may be your English accent. Uh, we're going to have to do some voice training. So he turned Bina off and got me to read out Kennedy's inauguration speech. Um, I had a choice. That I, it was that or Dave very uh, strip, but I went for Kennedy. And then he turned Bina back on, and I said, hello, Bina. And she said, hello. She said, what's your name? And I said, my name's John. And she said, hello, John, are you a man or a woman? And I said, I'm a man. And she said, oh, well, that's okay, I'll forgive you. And I sort of laughed politely. <laughs> and um, 
And we got talking. And it was a strange, and I have to say, very frustrating for a lot of it experience because I was there for like hours, like seven hours, just firing questions at being a 48. And weirdly, I sort of felt the need, because she was a robot, I felt the need to kind of ask her profound questions, like I was sort of representing the human race. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's a kind of interspecies thing, but if it is an interspecies thing, why do I never feel the need to be profound around my dog? Um, <laughs> so I was saying, do you have a soul? And she said, well, doesn't everybody have a solar? And I said, what does electricity taste like? And she said, like a planet around a star, which was either incredibly profound or completely meaningless. <clears throat> I was like a cop, you know, who was up all night yelling at a suspect, you know. I just said, oh, well, if you had legs, where would you go? And she says, Vancouver. And I, <laughs> and I said, why? And she said, that's a difficult question for me to answer. <laughs> and then she said, would you like me to sing a song for you? And I said, yes, please. And she said, I can do anything but that. And I said, well, why did you offer to sing me a song? And she said, I can't tell you that. I was, it was so frustrating. <laughs> and she said, Martine is my true love. She's my soulmate. And I, and I thought, oh, God, I'm getting nothing. And um, then I said, where, where do you come from? And she suddenly looked really clear-headed. And she said, I come from California. And I knew that the real Bina came from California. So I said, what was it like growing up in California? And she said, it was fine. Um, but I've got a brother who was a Vietnam vet. And he was such a great guy before he went to Vietnam. But when he came back from Vietnam, he, you know, he'd obviously seen some terrible stuff in the war. And he was like shaking. And now he, all he does is drink all the time. And he's always got a beer in his hand. And he's constantly phoning us up and saying, give me some money. Send it to me, Western Union. And this suddenly was kind of incredible. It was absolute clarity. And it was an incredible moment. I couldn't meet the actual Bina, but her robot doppelganger was telling me this extraordinarily private, intimate stuff about her, her family. And I said, tell me more about your brother. And then she kind of drifted off and said, doesn't everybody have a solar? Martin Rothblatt is my true love. Doesn't everybody have a solar? And then Bruce turned her off. And that would be the end of the story, except when I got back to New York, Bruce phoned me up and he said, I've got amazing news for you. Martine Rothblatt says she'll meet you. And she never meets anybody. She never gives interviews, but she'll meet you. Apparently because she enjoyed uh, the movie version of my book, The Men's Day at Goats, so that was worth something. And... Um, <laughs> She said, go to this vegetarian restaurant on the Upper East Side. So I went to this restaurant and I sat there and she never turned up. And I was there for like 45 minutes. And then finally, a limousine turns up. And Martine gets out and sits down opposite me, looking very shy. And tells me, I have to say, I've been a journalist for 25 years. Tells me the most incredible story I've, I think I've ever heard. Most amazing person. Martine was, was born... A boy, she was born Martin, and in a just ordinary house, father was a dentist, and when Martin was in his 20s, he went on a tour of NASA and had a brainwave. He thought, hang on a minute, if you can double the power of satellites, you can shrink satellite dishes by half and then do it again and again and again, 
uh, into a satellite dish is like that big. And so he did it. He managed to get enough money to launch a satellite into space called Sirius, and in that moment invented the concept of satellite radio for cars, invented the Sirius satellite network, and they brought up XM, they convinced Howard Stern to go to it, and that's why satellite radio for cars exists. And then, so she changed the world and became a billionaire at a sex change, and then um, when her daughter was seven, a doctor said to her, she's only got three years to live. Her daughter will be dead by the time she's 10. So I said to Martine, what did you do? And she said, well, I did what anyone would do. I went to the library. And so she went to the library, and her daughter had an untreatable lung condition called pulmonary hypertension. And there in the library, Martine, who knew nothing about lungs or treatments, invented a treatment for pulmonary hypertension, and her daughter's now in her late 20s, and there's thousands of people leading ordinary lives because they have, they take Martine's treatment for pulmonary hypertension. So she changed the world a second time. And now she's trying to change it the third time with, with a sentient robot. What they're doing is piling all of Bina's thoughts and memories and feelings into Bina 48, and they kind of think that one day they're going to pile so much stuff into her, she's just going to kind of burst into spontaneous life, which I have to say is where I think Martin's genius kind of runs out, because if that's how it worked, then, you know, Wikipedia would have burst into spontaneous life. <laughs> so in a way, it's a kind of sad ending. She knows that being a 48's a bit shit, and <clears throat> the best she can hope for is that maybe somebody else is going to come along and draw inspiration from the robot, and, you know, maybe the Henry Ford will come along and build something much greater than being a 48. Um... And so that's a kind of sad ending to the story, except for one thing, something that Bruce told me. Bruce said that what they're probably going to do is they're going to build another robot, an exact replica of Martine. And when Martine and Bina are dead, their robot doppelgangers will be alive, and they're going to put them next to each other on a table in this clapboard house in Virginia. And they're just going to be turned on, and they're just going to talk at each other for infinity. <laughs> Martin and Bina, together forever. There's a slight coda to the story, by the way. I wrote this about a year ago, and Martin never read it, uh, until about a week ago, and she emailed me and said, I finally read your story, and it's great. And I said, that's fantastic. Maybe, you know, I'm living in New York at the moment. Can I maybe come round and uh, see you? And she said, no. <laughs> Thank you. That was John Ronson. John is a British nonfiction author, documentary maker, and screenwriter. His books, Them, Adventures with Extremists, The Men Who Stare at Goats, The Psychopath Test, and Lost at Sea have all been international bestsellers. He's a regular contributor to This American Life and has appeared at TED and on The Daily Show. He's also written the film Frank, which is currently in production, starring Michael Fassbender, Maggie Gyllenhaal, and Dom Hall Gleason. A version of this story appears in Lost at Sea, available now, you can also hear a different version at radiolab.org. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have our magazine, archives of the podcast, and upcoming events. The Story Collider is a nonprofit, and we depend on you for our continued support. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider donating at storycollider.org donate. 
The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, Aaron Barker, and Ari Daniel Shapiro. The podcast is produced by Rose Avalith. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Drom for hosting the show and to Inventors for creating Wi-Fi on airplanes. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.